Welcome to the Mike Litton Experience Podcast. Mike has over 31 years experience in real estate, finance, and investing. He's passionate about being a father, a teacher, a realtor, an investor, and a leader. Everyone has a story, and our passion is to help them tell it. And now, introducing the host of the Mike Litton Experience, Mike Litton. Alan, thank you for joining me. Uh, welcome to the Mike Litton Experience. Thank you. We're here to tell, everybody has a story, and we're here to help you tell your story, okay? So tell me a little bit about where you were born. Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. Is that where you grew up? Yes. So what was your favorite thing about growing up in Washington, D.C.? Uh, I liked downtown Washington. Did you? Because you could walk to the White House oh. and the Treasury and the Capitol, and they had three great theaters, one of which had live shows. Uh, every, and we used to go there every Saturday morning. That's awesome. So what was your favorite thing about growing up in D.C.? Well, the reality is that D.C. didn't have the best schools at the time. Okay. So eventually we moved over to Maryland. Across the river? Uh, no, not across the river. It's across the state line. Yeah. Into Maryland, into um, an area that's known as Silver Spring. Okay. And that's where I really uh, grew up through high school. Okay. And then I went to University of Maryland. Okay. And then to American University. Okay. So a big part of my life was spent in the Washington, D.C. area. There you go. What made you decide to go to school at Maryland? Oh, because everyone did. Okay. I didn't yeah. realize you were a Turpin. Yeah, it's just what you did when you got out of high school. There you go. Why American University? Um, I wanted to have a degree in real estate. Okay. And they had a really good program. Okay. Why, they, they why, can, why was that important to you? I liked real estate. Okay. And I liked real estate economics. Okay. Why? Well, obviously. Yes. And uh, American U was a very friendly, small school. Yeah. And it was in a half an hour from my parents' house, so um, that's where I was. So did you live at, live at home and go to school? I did. Okay. And uh, my father had a grocery store okay. near the University of Maryland, so I worked there on weekends and uh, finished American U, and then I wanted to go into an advanced program and for some reason or other uh, I got accepted at Stanford into their graduate school wow. and went into their program on market research Okay. and got a master's degree from Stanford. That's awesome. And then I decided to get a PhD. Well, my goodness. So I went down to USC, which had a program, and it turned out that it was not a good program. Oh. So I dropped out, went back to DC, <laughs> and uh, 
got an MBA in real estate oh. there and finished all my work for the PhD, never wrote the dissertation. Oh my gosh. So uh, so Stanford, what were your, what was it like being at Stanford? Well, it was really pretty neat to the extent that it's at that time it was a small school. Mm -hmm. We're talking about seven or eight thousand students. That's a lot larger now. And the really good thing is that in every class I was using the professor's book. Oh, there you go. So we really got to know your professors and also to uh, understand the brain power that the that the faculty has there. Yeah. That's one of the prettiest campuses. I was just up there a few months ago. My son actually works at the, the Stanford Blood Bank um, right now. He, he maintains blood screening equipment for them for rapid diagnostics. And um, that's just such a beautiful area. It really is. And that campus is just gorgeous. Yeah. And, and I have to tell you that lock, stock, and barrel room board and tuition was 3000 a year. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, it's gone up a little bit since then. Just a little bit, <laughs> just a tad. Yeah. So, so you get, so you go back to DC. You finish, you get your MBA um, in in real estate. Yeah. And then what happens? I went to work for Ernst and Ernst. Ernst and Young, okay. Or what's now Ernst and Young, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, I don't think I was cut out to be an accountant. Okay. Um, and I went to work for a firm called Gladstone. Okay. And Gladstone was a market research firm okay. specializing in real estate. There you go. That was that's that your was, wheelhouse. That was it. <laughs> and I stayed there until I got a phone call from my brother-in-law, who worked for a national real estate development firm called American Housing Guild. Okay. Based in San Diego. Okay. He said they're looking for a national director of market research. Really? And I called up and a month later I was out there. Yeah. And you and so you stayed so you've been so we're now currently in Rancho Penasquitas, which is a which is a suburb of, of San Diego. And so you've been in San Diego ever since? Yes, and uh, American Housing Guild sold off its apartment division and became Continental, Amer Continental American Properties, or Con-Am. Okay. And I, I remember Con-Am. Yeah, my, I've been, I was with them for 20 years. My goodness. And I still invest with them, and uh, they have grown dramatically. Yeah, absolutely. They manage, I think, 50,000 apartments around the country. So you were with Conam for 20 years. Yes. And then I was, well, there's, it's, there were two parts of Conam. Mm -hmm. Conam management. And then I became president of Conam Securities, okay. which was the fundraising activity at Conam to raise money to buy more apartments. Sure. And I spent uh, five years on the road. Oh my goodness. With uh, three guys I hired. Okay. 
and we raised money and we raised over 400 million dollars my goodness and how long ago was that that was 1983 to 1988 wow so those were kind of the the beautiful years in real estate yeah there was a, a lot happening back then it was, it was a lot of fun yeah yeah i can imagine yeah and then i got an offer to be director of real estate research for home fed bank home fed my goodness we know them here <laughs> yes and i was um, with them for one and a half years and they closed out yeah i remember when all that happened yeah and i went back to con am my goodness so um and then i, I Went with a firm called Market Point. Yeah, I remember Market Point. And I was with them for Market Point Realty Advisors, right? You've got it. Yeah, I remember Market Point. And I was with them for like fourteen or fifteen years. Yeah. And then I went over to work with my friend Gary London. Mm-hmm. I know Gary. Yeah. And good guy. Um, then I learned of a firm called Expera Group. Mm-hmm. And went over there. I was there ten years. Mm-hmm. And they got bought out. Did they? And um, I didn't have a warm relationship with the firm that bought them out. So I moved over to where I am now, which is at GAFCON. Gotcha. Where I'm director of economic research. Group. So you are you working for Yehudi? I go oh, very much so. There you go. Well, tell him I said hi. I got to meet him several years ago oh, okay. when Ted Bumgarner worked for him. Yes. Um, I got a chance to meet him a long time oh, ago. Oh, very good. Yeah. Yeah, I like working with So him. I love Ted, obviously. Ted yeah. was the best man at my wedding. Um, you're, you're kidding. No, no. Super, super good guy. Um, and we, the, the the night of my wedding, we was at the Hotel Dell. The night of my wedding, the videographer was running around with a, with a microphone and a video camera in his hand. And he found my dad and Ted hanging out at the bar just outside the reception area, right? They were out there keeping it warm. And they handed the microphone, the, the videographer handed the microphone to Ted, and Ted goes, I've just got one bit of advice for you. If you treat her like a thoroughbred, she'll never be a nag. And my wife watched that on the video, and she said, I'm not a horse. You know? So that's, years later, yeah, so fast forward 25 years later, I'm sitting in a doctor's office, and my wife says to the, to the doctor who didn't know me, she says, you're, you're dealing with a thoroughbred here. Have you ever been to the races where they put them in the in the in the chute and they're getting ready to release the chute and the thoroughbreds jumping around ready to go yeah. antsy to go and hurts themselves in the chute and she's like yeah she goes you got to give him some rain you got to give it right she literally she literally called me a horse in That's that fun. in that appointment it was a cracker very good. oh I was very proud I was very proud um, so let me ask you this who was the most influential person growing up to you. Who was your most influential person? In my childhood in days? In your childhood days. That's interesting. I, uh, I'm not so sure I have an answer for you. Okay. That's okay. That's okay. I can't think other of an individual that had any influence on how I grew up. Okay. I had a number of really neat childhood friends, mm -hmm. and uh, 
we still keep contact. So it basically is a group of friends that you're still friends with today? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, one of whom lives out here in San Diego. My goodness. And uh, so um, I hung out with a really nice group of people. And I was in a high school fraternity. And I still know most of those people. That's great. It's really interesting. I um, talk to them occasionally. And uh, that, that my, my entire high school life, I really spent with my high school fraternity. Gotcha. That's awesome. And you're still friends with them today? Yeah. Plus, I have, have a nice family. Yeah. Big family. I have 29 first cousins. My goodness. That's a lot. Huge. And uh, they've all turned out pretty well. Oh, that's awesome. That's so, awesome. So, let's go, let's go to today, timeline-wise. Okay. Um, so, you're currently... Um, real estate guru, right? I, I love your, your yes. license plate. Um, so tell me about what you're doing now. So one of the things that you should know, um, and I want the world to know, is I'm one of your biggest fans. Um, I've had you as a regular guest on my radio shows for years. We've always had a great time working together and talking and visiting. And I absolutely loved your book, The Great Divide. In fact, I've probably given out more than 100 copies of it as a gift to people that I know, uh, that, I, that I know need that kind of information. Um, and it really changed my life, Alan. I mean, I, I've never shared this with you, um, but I, I sort of always wanted to be in the investment side of the business. And after I read your book, I literally, that, that became a fire. Like it became something that I just felt like I had to do. And in 2020, I started, I went to work with an investment firm, June 1st of 2020. In 2021, we bought and sold a little over $100 million worth of real estate in San Diego County. I was their director of acquisitions. I was the person in charge of their growth. They were number one in San Diego on the Inc. 500 list, fastest growing nationwide, number one in San Diego, number 83 nationwide. You lit a major fire in me. Oh I was already motivated, you know that, but this really fired me up and got me going. And I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. I, have a, I had a great time. I still work in the, in the investment side, and I absolutely love it. So you have a new book that's being released next month. As we sit here, at your, and we're at you in your back patio at your house in Rancho Pinasquitas um, of, San, of San Diego, and... As, so you've got a new book that's coming out and it's being released next month, correct? In, in September of 2023? Yes. Next week, I get to proofread the final copy. There you go. So the final tra the final manuscript. Huh? It's pretty much done. That's awesome. And uh, It's I, called The Next Half Century, right? Yes. So tell us about it. Well, it really talks about the world mm -hmm. in the next half century because there are going to be some remarkable things happening. Right. in the next half century and the biggest part of it is that the third world countries are gradually going to move into second world country 
positions. So move up, basically, in terms of life, yes. in terms of quality of life. And we see this already. There are a number of countries just in the last decade that have uh, moved fairly dramatically. Uh, Vietnam is certainly a number one in that respect. Uh, when I look at uh, a number of the African countries that have moved up because uh, either they had oil discovered mm -hmm. there or gold or China invested heavily in those countries and what has happened along the way is the fertility rate has declined very dramatically basically cut in half wow or more so in these third world countries my goodness and what that means I mean they had the fertility rate was typically five or six kids right and now it's down in the three kid level and what that means is that uh, mom and dad had a lot more spendable money oh absolutely and they eat better and they uh, have more money for their kids to go to school and they have money for medicine and and so they're, they're moving on and everything yeah and what is really set this going is YouTube. My goodness gracious. The ability for a two billion people who for the first time can see what it's like in first world countries. Right. And they want to be part of it. Absolutely. So do you think that's part of what's happening at the southern border right now in terms of this sort of massive influx of, of migrants? Oh, there's, there's no doubt about so that. So they're seeking a better, a better way yeah, of life. The other problem, though, is some of those countries are uh, very crime-ridden, yeah. unfortunately. But yes, and you know, people say that immigration was cut off during the Trump administration. Mm -hmm wasn't true. Yeah. We have been accepting a million people a year over the last 30 or 40 years. Wow. I didn't and, know that. Yeah. It's, uh, Trump didn't cut it off at all. And so it was all, it was all appearances more than anything else. Yeah. No. He was correct in thinking that you can't let everybody come across the border. Right. That doesn't work very well. No, not when you're trying to keep some sort of quality of life. Exactly. Some standard, yeah. And we need all those people, particularly those who uh, will work in jobs that our kids won't work in. Right. So we need this huge entry-level workforce. And, and let's be honest, we have a labor shortage right now. We have way more, oh. like millions of jobs that have been yeah. advertised available yeah. and nobody's taking them. We have 10 million job openings in this country right now. Unreal. And just don't have enough people. Uh, we filled 6 million last year, mm -hmm. but we continue to have 10 million openings. Wow. And that's been a pretty much of a constant. And uh, the reality is that we just have to keep bringing in. Canada is on a similar program. Yeah. Canada 
just doesn't have enough people. And they are bringing in 400,000 people a year to Canada. And they have some fairly uh, strict regulations. Yeah. Uh, they don't want anybody over age 50 because they don't want the responsibility for health care right. for seniors. And they want them young. They want to have them to have families. They want them to be literate. And they're getting it. And wow. if, you, if you were to go to Toronto today and you look at Toronto, Toronto is a conglomerate of people from all over the world. Mm. And their, uh, their economy is doing very, very well up there. And, it's a little melting pot kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's unfortunate because the, here in the States, our real growth need for people uh, is here in California yeah. and a few other states like Texas and Arizona right. and Florida and those are the growth states. Now people say that California is not growing anymore. Our population is not increasing. It's unfortunate we actually are pretty stable but the folks who are moving out tend to be those with lesser education yeah. and older, and they're moving to you know, Arizona, New Mexico, yeah. some move to Texas. But 60% of the people who are moving into California have a college degree. Wow. Because we have an amazing job machine yeah. in this state. Yeah. And we keep on fourth, going. Fourth largest economy in the world, right? We're just on the border between fourth and fifth. Right. Yes, okay. we're getting there. Okay. Another five years, we'll be in solidly in fourth place. Gotcha. But the basic point is, we're an amazing economy. Here yeah. In the United matter of fact, in the book that's coming out, mm -hmm. uh, the next time in a century. couple of weeks, right? <laughs> we, uh, I delve into the states where the action is. Mm -hmm. And California, of course, remains number one. Yeah. Texas does. And then I, I also look at the four southeastern states of North and South Carolina, Georgia, and Florida. So those three nodes, if you will, yeah. um, account for more than a third of the growth in the nation. Wow. And That's incredible. It really is. And they've got the jobs. Yeah. It's really pretty amazing. And here in California, our job machine is enormous. The number of new firms that are created in California uh, is far and away more than any other state in the nation. Hmm. And we have a remarkable amount of venture capital pouring in here. Uh, remember, San Diego is number five in the nation wow. in terms of bringing in venture capital. Number one, of course, is Silicon Valley. Yeah. Uh, Boston, I think, is number two. But the basic point is we have an enormous amount of money pouring in yeah. because we have the brain power. That's awesome. It's all focuses around the Berkeleys and the Stanford in uh, course UCSD right which is an amazing institution yeah, by the way it really is 
So did did I read correctly that there's over a billion people worldwide that have that have that now have internet access that didn't have it just a few years ago? Yeah, more than a billion. More than a billion. That's a major impact. I mean, those are that's all those people watching, like you said, watching YouTube and yeah. and listening to podcasts and all that kind of thing. That's yeah. just amazing. And they're learning English, mm-hmm. which is uh, the language of the next century. Yeah. And well, just just from reading the introduction of your of your book, the next yeah. half century. I, no, I don't know anybody that could read that and not get fired up about the next fifty years, about what's about what's coming and and how the quality of life worldwide, not just in the U.S. but worldwide, the quality of life and standard of living is going to go up dramatically. It sounds like. Well, it already has. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Uh, you know the the first world countries just they're good to stay good. European Union. Yeah. We are Japan, Korea, first world countries. They do fine. You know, the only problem we're facing in these first world countries is aging. Because you take a country like Japan, and you have twenty-five percent of their entire of their entire population is over age sixty-five. Wow! And, I didn't know that either. Yeah, and. The age of retirement there is, well, if you're over 65, you're still working because they don't have a replacement because countries like Japan and Korea and China do not have immigration. Right. No one wants to move there. Right. Everybody wants to move here. Everybody, exactly. (laughs) Here and Europe as well. but. The reality is that Japan's population is shrinking. Uh, the big shrink is China. Oh, wow. They are shrinking at a pace in the next 40 years. They will lose 125 million population and can't do anything. That's a third the size it. of this country. Yeah. My goodness gracious. Because Mao Zedong put in a one-child policy. That's right. That's right. 30 years later, they got they, rid of it. Yeah, they don't, but they don't have, but, but they're right. behind, yeah, they're behind the curve, so to speak. Well, worse than that, it, it, it seems that um, genetically, uh, they wound up with far more males than females. Wow. So here we're in a situation where you have tens of millions uh, male millennials, nobody to marry. Interesting. And the result of that is, and it really just follows, mm-hmm. is their household spending is going down. Wow. Because they're not having enough new households formed. Nobody to buy the homes or the condominiums. And China is in deep doo-doo. Sounds like it. And they can't do anything about it. Sounds like they're headed for a decline. Oh, they are. And it's unfortunate they, um, uh, it's not an attractive place to move. Yeah. You know, the the English language 
is pretty easy to conquer. Right. Whereas the Chinese language, not Chinese, so much. Japanese, right. Korean, Mandarin, Cantonese, right? Well, Russian. Yeah, well, yeah. These are all different alphabets. Right. So in most of these countries now, um, kids start learning English in the first grade. Oh, sure. That's smart. It's certainly everywhere in the Far East that's true. Yeah. So um, the world is becoming an Americanized world. And I think the good news is that with the exception of Russia's problems, mm -hmm. um, everybody else is doing pretty, pretty well. Sounds and, like it. You know, the, the Russian problem is that they have been on a downhill course mm -hmm. since the end of World War II. Yeah. 75 years ago. Exactly. They lost 25 million people in World War II. That's just amazing. Most of which were males, of course, and they never recovered. And their birth rate is essentially zero. And they took so much money of theirs and put it into military mm -hmm. and bombs. Huge and portion. Huge portion, yeah. Wasn't quite enough there to take care of education. So the dollars they've allocated for education have declined dramatically. Hmm. And they've had a substantial out-migration, not just because of Ukraine, but generally speaking, a lot of move-outs, most of whom are college-educated. And they don't want to be there anymore. So let me ask you this. What do you think the the Internet access or the increase in Internet access, how do you think that's affecting Russia? Is that something where they're seeing life in, in the Western states and or Western countries and and the U.S. and that kind of thing in Canada, and they're wanting to flock to it. They're trying to figure out a way to get to it. Oh no, that's that's been an ongoing thing. Yeah, it's uh, they've been. But it sounds like with more together. and more people gaining access to the internet, maybe yeah. it's multiplying. Plus, you have uh, a, there was a huge uh, Jewish population in Russia. Okay. Almost all of whom were highly educated. Yeah, and they've. All moved to Israel mm -hmm. or here, right? And uh, so there's a major drain, brain, brain drain, brain drain, yeah, in, in Russia now. Nothing they can do about it. Yeah, their population is shrinking, and they don't have enough labor for their entry level jobs. But it's sort of fascinating. Russia's had has a huge business. In wheat, oh yeah, and other grains. Yeah, they're a huge producer. Yeah, it's mostly in the western part, mm -hmm. uh, around Vladivostok. Mm -hmm. The grain is all harvested by Chinese labor that comes across every year. Interesting. I didn't know that. And there's nobody in Russia who wants to do that kind of work. Oh my goodness. So you get this tremendous, we're talking hundreds of thousands yeah. of Chinese people across the who come across to help uh, Russia. Wow. 
So it's uh, that's amazing. Yeah, it's a fascinating story. And then the European Union, where everything is going swimmingly well, mm -hmm. uh, twenty-eight countries, mm -hmm. and uh, their problem is aging. They too have an extremely low fertility rate. Mm -hmm. And their population over the next 40 or 50 years is on a negative path. Wow. Now they are admitting a lot of new people. Okay. Um, and will continue to have to. Yeah. Sounds like out of necessity. Yeah, it really is. So, you know, they're, they're doing okay. Yeah. Uh, they're, um, the only problem is they don't have any oil. So they've had to buy it from Russia. Yeah. But the rest of the world, it's really fascinating. It's um, it's it's not all good, but it's a lot better than we read in the press. Yeah, well, I'd agree with that. And that was one of the things that when I read the introduction to the next half, half century, which is your book that's being released next month, um, I I was I was floored. I had an idea in my mind of where the world was headed, and this completely changed. But I should be used to that because the fir your first book completely changed my outlook too. Yes. I mean, like flipped it completely on its head. So, um, so I do have a question for you. So, in your book, The Great Divide, you talk about a forty trillion dollar uh, transfer of wealth. Is that now seventy two trillion? I suspect it probably is. Could be more. I saw something. I saw an article the other day that said that there's some seventy-two trillion dollars estimated that's being transferred, and that just—I mean—that just—that just boggles the mind. You know, there has been an enormous amount of press and stories written that say today's young generation will not live as well as their parents. Right. And that is so misguided. It's remarkable. Yeah. Because when you look at the net worth of parents today who have kids who are, let's say, uh, pre-millennial, yeah. you follow the path and you think in terms of what modern parents like you mm -hmm. uh, have in terms of net worth. Mm -hmm in terms of pension funds, in terms of other investments, and I will tell you that your kids and my kids are living a hell of a lot better than we ever did. And I just think of my kids and how they live Mm -hmm. And it's no relationship yeah. to when I grew up. Yeah. So my children had a much better childhood than I did. Um, much, much better. It wasn't perfect, but it was a much, much better childhood. They were they had a much higher standard of living, all that kind of thing. Uh, but one of the things that I told them, you know, you know, I grew up in a, on a farm in Oklahoma. Yep. And one of the things that I told them was, like, well, growing up and parenting, you know, is a big passion of mine, and I'm I'm big about being their dad and. I told them when they were kids, I said, listen, if I, if I had it, if I, would, if I had a time machine, you would go back 
and you would work on the farm in Oklahoma with my grandfather like I did. You'd work in 100 degree heat, 90 plus percent humidity. Yep. You, you'd, you'd muck out stalls, yep. you'd do whatever you have to do. And, and I told him, I said, it was, it was absolutely the best thing for me growing up because everything since then has seemed easy. That was some of the toughest, hardest work I've ever done in my life. And what, what happens for me, or what happened with them, was I said, look, you're gonna have a much better life than I did. That's, that's my mission. My mission is you're gonna have a much better life than I did. But if you ever sound like you're spoiled, sound like you're entitled, sound like you're complaining, I will find a horse ranch out here, I will take you and you will muck out stalls for free until I'm convinced that you're no longer spoiled. And man, I'm telling you, they took me seriously. Every time they started to complain or acted a little entitlement, entitled or whatever, I'd ask them, you ready to go to the horse ranch? You ready to go muck out some stalls? They'd get right back in line. Yep. It was amazing how that worked. So tell me a little bit about, or tell us a little bit about your next book. I was floored the other day to find out from you that you're already working on the next one, which doesn't surprise me, by the way, but I was so happy to hear that you're gonna you're working on your next one tell us about that project the next one is america the next 50 years wow and it's a take it starts with a book that's just coming out next half century yeah now that's and a worldwide that's worldwide okay but fairly heavily focused oh, sure. on the on what our nation is and i'm looking at the next 50 years, and I'm thinking of the incredible economy that we have that is set up to help all these third world countries become second world countries. Gotcha. And that is uh, an amazing story uh, to the extent that, and this is really not reported much, but millions of American citizens are employed in companies and in industries who are working to get third world countries moving forward. Wow. And certainly all major accounting firms, mm -hmm. uh, when you look and where their people are. Right. They're overseas. And I see that with engineering, I see it with aeronautics. And it's pretty exciting because we really are the only country that's really acting as coaches. Gotcha. Lifestyle coach. I gotcha. And uh, that will continue on so that we, uh, in the next 50 years, will just continue to be number one. And then I, in this book, also focus on which states are going to win, which are going to lose. Yeah. And it relates very heavily to education. Yeah. So when people mock California, uh, they don't realize that we really have an amazing educational machine going here. Now, are we talking about public schools or are we talking about? Both. Okay. Public and private. 
Okay, so our public schools here have, have gone up in terms of quality? Unfortunately, it's selective. Okay. So the reason I'm asking, yeah, my children went to, um, and, and they're pretty much the, the best, they're pretty much the best uh, frame of reference that I have, obviously, but we put them in private school. Uh, when I moved here from, from Oklahoma in, when I was 13, 1980, um, I basically spent the first year going over what I'd just gone over the year before in, in Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew this, the public school system out here was not very good. I knew that they were behind what we had in Oklahoma. And so when our kids were coming up, I wanted them to private school. We put them in a private Christian school in Escondido. And then as they got older, the Christian school kept saying, we're gonna, we're gonna build a, a high school, we're gonna build a high school, they never did. And so we had to go find an alternative. And we found American Heritage Charter School system in, um, in Escondido. And our kids just took off like rocket ships. I mean, they just absolutely flourished. And so one of the things that I've noticed is there are, we're currently, like we mentioned, I mentioned earlier, we're sitting in Rancho Penasquitas, which is in the Poway Unified School District here in San Diego County. And that is one of the top ranked still, nationwide, still one of the top ranked public school districts, bar none. Um, the thing is, you go to different parts of San Diego County, different cities in San Diego County, and different parts of San Diego City, and you're right, the, the public schools are just abysmal. They're just not that good. So, but but there are areas that are bright spots, right? No, they're, they're well, San Diego school system, which is basically serves Encinitas. Carmel Valley, yeah. uh, zip code 92130, right. is one of the very best in the nation. Yeah. And the Poway School District, yeah. which services Poway and Rancho Bernardo, uh, is... And Rancho Penasquitas, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, an extremely good. You know, one of the fascinating things in California is that you can go online see the test scores mm -hmm. for every school in the state, public school. Yeah. And it's called SARC, S-A-R-C. Mm -hmm. Go online, type in California SARC, mm -hmm. and then just type in the name of a school, mm -hmm. and it'll tell you uh, the test scores, it'll tell you uh, the percent of the uh, faculty that has advanced degrees. Mm -hmm. So I've done that. Yeah. And okay. our charter high school that that I was on the board of directors for that yeah. charter school system for four years, um, we track that every year. Yeah. And I've been on that website, and they were in the top in San Diego County, like number one, number two, every all four years. So that was a real quality education that my children were able to get and were able to obtain, and they were part of the public, they're part of the public school system. It's just, it's a charter school. So when I talk about public schools, I'm talking about non-charter type schools. I hear you, um, yes. And, it's, and that's, a, that's a real challenge and a real issue. And one of the guests that we're gonna be having on the podcast is the founder of the American Heritage Charter School System, uh, Dennis Snyder, what you call him, Coach Denny Snyder. Um, he's um, he's excited to come on, and I'm excited to have this conversation with him about his journey and his and and where he's come, you know, in his life journey, um, and where we are now currently in terms of 
where education is and I'm pretty familiar with it. He, we um, talked for a while about my potentially joining the school board, um, asking you a union high school board. I ended up deciding not to do it because I have obviously a lot going on. Yeah. Um, but um, but it's a you know education is a real passion of mine. It really is. Yeah, very fortunately, my kids went to Hoya Country Day. There you go. I served on the board there for ten years, and that's. A remarkable school. They're one of the top in, the, in those test scores oh, yeah. every every year. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, and the uh, we have uh, many other very good schools here mm -hmm. in the county, and it's a school by school basis. Yeah. Um, you have very few. You really only have two school districts that are uniformly high quality. That's Poway and, and San Miguel. And uh, as you go around the country, you find the same story. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, even a place like Alabama has some public schools that are very good. The other part, by the way, is I wrote an article a couple of years ago on the correlation between home price increases and test scores, SAT scores. Mm -hmm. And you can pretty well gauge exactly what your home prices are going to do. Because of that magnet. Yeah. It's a magnet. And the important thing is, I don't know how many people want to play this game, but the reality is that you can track mm -hmm. that through the county yeah. and tell exactly where the home prices are going to go up and you know if you want to buy your kids a home you want to get it to one of the districts it's really on the way up totally agree so that's a microcosm of of your book the great divide where you talk about the gold the, the gold belt right the the those those states that everybody's migrating to and yes. it's that's that's a microcosm here of of what you're seeing, you know, quality of life, quality of education, all of that. Yeah, that was what was so brilliant about that book. I just, <laughs> I just loved it. So the so the new book, the next fifty years in America, uh, is so the title is the next fifty years in America, the next fifty years. America, the next fifty years. <laughs> yeah. So you're starting that book now. Any idea? And you don't. It's okay. You don't have to commit to a date. But any idea when that'll be ready? It will take me a year to write. Okay. So sometime next year. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's a matter of most of that time is spent gathering data. Oh, sure. And it's actually fairly amazing the amount of data that is out there now. Yeah. But you have to dig. Yes. There are firms like Pew Research, mm -hmm. P-E-W. Yeah an amazing font of knowledge. Um, and uh, the Census Bureau alone is somewhat remarkable. And most folks only think of it in the 10-year census. Yeah. They do an amazing job of, uh, of gathering data mm -hmm. on demographics in particular and on business. You know. And like you said in your in your in your book, your upcoming book that's the next yeah. half century that's being released next month, 
you said if you know demographics, you know the future. Absolutely. That's what it's all about. Well, listen, I really appreciate you joining me. Thank you so much for letting me come hang out with you. Uh, this has been a real pleasure, and I'm looking forward, if you're okay with it, I'm looking forward to coming back and sitting with you about the next book, if that's all right. Okay, I'll get you a copy in the next uh, 45 days. There you go. Sounds great. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure. Appreciate you, Alan. Thank you, Mike. We hope you enjoyed another episode of the Mike Litton Experience. If you did, do us a favor, smash that subscribe button, tell your friends, family, and coworkers about our program, and wherever you get your podcasts, please leave us a rating. It helps us to connect with quality people just like you. And that's a wrap. Another episode of the Mike Litton Experience in the books. Reach out to Mike on Instagram at Litton Realty. Want to meet with Mike? Check out calendly.com slash Rio 760.